Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm very thankful for your presence. I'm really excited to share a conversation I had with Brother Bob Loudermilk about the Apostle Paul. It's called From Persecutor to Preacher. You ready? Let's jump in, shall we? Well, I have Brother Bob Loudermilk with me again from Edmond, Oklahoma, and he's joining me by Zencaster. So he's in his home office and I'm in mine, and uh, I'm just grateful for this opportunity, brother. Thank you very much for spending some time with me and uh, going through a Bible study on uh, Saul, persecutor to preacher. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here, Jonathan. Well, I thought maybe uh, I might read a scripture in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, and then maybe uh, you could flesh out some of the background and some of the what's going on presently in that uh, before we jump into Saul and uh, the story of his conversion, just because I think, I think people will appreciate what happens to him more if they kind of get the background. So is that okay if I begin with reading sure. the scripture? Sounds, sounds great. Okay. So Acts seven fifty eight says, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. It's talking about um, a Christian named Stephen and the witnesses laid down their garments or their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So when I read that, I see this is kind of the first mention of this guy, Saul. Uh, maybe you could spend some time talking to us about him and what's kind of led up to this. Absolutely. You know, the church was going through many things after being established in Acts chapter 2. There was tremendous growth, a lot of excitement. And then all of a sudden we're introduced to a young man named Saul. Now this occurred right after the stoning of Stephen, mm -hmm. the first martyr that we know of to die for his faith. And so this is going to lead us into a conversation about Saul's conversion. I believe that one of the greatest days in the history of the church was when the church started Acts 2, but also when Saul was converted. Hmm. Okay. And I think it's interesting in Acts to show how important that conversion story is, that it's mentioned not once or twice, but three times. You know, you've got it in chapter 9, right. and then you have Paul mm -hmm. retelling it in chapter 22 and 26. And, and then he alludes to it many times in his epistles. So the conversion of this man became a pivot on which the history of the church turned. Mm. Whenever you get to chapter 8, Jonathan, you've got this significant turning point in Acts as well. You know, chapters uh, 1 through 7, and then chapter 8 begins a new phase. Well, maybe we should just stop right there then and, and talk about these these major sections. I love mapping out the Bible, and I love to visualize it because it helps me remember where things are um, in the Scriptures. So maybe, could you take just a moment and uh, talk about this, this turning point? What happened in the big section before, and then and what's going to happen in the big section after? Help me kind of visualize this. Sure. You know, in chapters 1 through 7, we've got, what, the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. Uh -huh. And uh, for, I don't know exactly how many years, but at least a couple of years, the believers had been involved in what we might call today city evangelism. Okay. But then in chapter 8, you've got a new phase where the church is scattered to 
Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus promised in Acts 1 and 8. That's right. uh, You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. So it's kind of interesting. Acts 1 and 8 is really an outline of the book of Acts. So uh, chapters 1 through 7, city evangelism. Uh Chapter 8, Judea and Samaria and then later to the end of the earth. Okay. Well, good. Um, you know, that's, that's so helpful. I'm, I'm probably going to put a note there next to Acts 1, verses 8, outline of the book. And, uh, you know, so every time I read through it, I'll know it's pivoting in chapter 8. Now, um, I want to do something, maybe it's a little bit different than normal. Um, you have presented this, uh, and it's been recorded in a congregation. And, and so uh, you have suggested that perhaps instead of, uh, having a conversation, it might be better to listen to this in more of a story format. And so uh, we're going to cut away from the conversation element of this episode, and we're going to pick up with you d- delivering this as a sermon. Uh, how long ago was this, by the way, that you delivered? Is it recently? Was it years it's ago? Probably been about uh, probably two years ago. Okay, so two years ago you gave this as a sermon, and uh, you, you're going to through a story format, uh, explain the story of Saul. So let's jump over there. A young graduate from a major university in the north moved to the south. He enrolled in the world's most prestigious school of religion. And he so excelled that he became the number one student in the college. He surpassed all of his peers in his learning and in the detail of the law of God. During that time, there was a man from Nazareth that came on the scene that challenged the orthodoxy of the true religion as they understood it. The Galilean teacher was considered by the religious leaders of the day to be dangerous. He's a heretic that is threatening our very existence. He's a false teacher, and we've got to stop him. The hated man is finally arrested and tried. He is convicted of heresy even though no no evidence is found. As the crowd cries out, crucify him, he is beaten and sentenced to die on a Roman cross. After hearing about his death, the great theologian walks away confident, we finally won. We finally done something. We, We forever stamped out the heresy of the Galilean. But very soon after that, the pernicious heresy breaks out again. And even the leaders are bold enough to say, we've seen him alive. He's come back to life. Absurd. Impossible, the theologian must have thought. Does he not stand against all the traditions of our fathers? Does he not seek to stamp out the law of Moses? So Saul decides to lead his peers in a great movement with a mission to bring all of the followers of this sect to jail or to death. As he continues behind the scenes, Saul is giving consent to the stoning of Stephen as one of the chief offenders. And in Acts 8, chapter 1 through 3, he is consenting to their death, and a great persecution breaks out against the church at Jerusalem. They're all scattered except the apostles. And Saul, verse 3, says, He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. After Stephen dies, the Jerusalem Gazette must have shouted out the message, 
We finally got the sect on the run. Though their leaders are in Jerusalem, the rest of them are scattered throughout the world. And as Christians flee from the wrath of Saul, Saul excitingly goes to the Sanhedrin to get legal papers and he becomes somewhat like a foreign evangelist to try to do everything he can to stamp out Christianity. In fact, the Bible says, and Saul still breathing, now think about those words, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters. And he goes on to say to bring them bound to Jerusalem. What commitment must have flooded his soul as he hurries off to Damascus to continue his ministry of death, but suddenly, suddenly fear as he's knocked off his high horse. Suddenly, blindness, what a light. Suddenly, confusion, what a voice. The Bible records it in Acts 9, 3 through 6. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. A light shined down around him from heaven. Then he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. We are back to the conversation, and uh, I'm interested in um, when Jesus calls Saul by name, he, he mentions it twice. He says, Saul, Saul. And uh, you have in your notes that this is not the first time that Jesus does that. I'm wondering maybe if you could explain for those who are uh, wanting to maybe take some notes or, or, or make some sort of connections, what's the significance of Jesus calling somebody by their name twice? You know, Jonathan, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if my mom called my name twice, I listened. <laughs> Bob, Bob, <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan. Uh -huh. and in Luke's writings, the repetition of a name by Jesus can refer to a mild rebuke or to a warning. Okay. You know, for example, uh, Luke ten forty one, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Mm -hmm. Kind of a mild rebuke there. Uh, and then you've got, Simon over there in Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Mm -hmm. Kind of a warning. Yeah. And then of course uh, Luke thirteen, such a beautiful passage thirty four. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, not just a person's name, but a city, the one who kills the prophets. And so when he calls Saul's names twice, number one, I believe he wanted to capture his attention. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of like a mild rebuke and a warning, you know, like, what in the world are you doing? Well, I, I'll, I'll interject here since, uh, you know, we're trying to relate to childhood. Mine was my first and middle name. You know, my middle name oh, is Morris. Yes. So when my mom said Jonathan Morris, man, I better get inside quick, you know. <laughs> but the connect, I, I understand it. Uh, the connection is very clear to me that when that, when that name was said, that specific phrasing, it wasn't casual. And it seems like it wasn't casual with Jesus either. That's right. Well, uh, Saul sees the Lord on that day. And um, I guess uh, what exactly happens next uh, in, in this account? 
One of the things we find in, in several places is that Saul literally saw the Lord that day, Acts 9, 27, 22, 14, mm-hmm. and other places. And Paul later told his story to King Agrippa, and he mentioned that light that he saw from heaven. And the Word of God says that it was brighter than the sun. Huh. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone out and looked at the sun for very long. When but... I was a kid, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they tell me if you look at the sun long enough that you can literally go blind. Uh-huh. And many times it's a uh, it's a temporary blindness. But you stare at the sun long enough. Don't try this at home, listeners. But uh, <laughs> you literally can go blind. So you think about it. The last thing Saul ever gazed upon prior to going blind was Jesus. Mm. So I got to looking at this and I thought, really, his blindness wasn't a blindness of darkness. It was a blindness of the light. And uh, kind of like when someone would take your picture, the old flash cubes in the old days. And after you look away, you still see the flash. Yeah. So Saul that day experienced the blindness of the light of Jesus Christ. And for three days, I've wondered, I wondered when he, when he was sitting there for three days, is all he could see was that image of Christ mm, yeah. for three days. Oof, gives me chills just thinking about it. Right. Um, you know, one of the qualifications of being an apostle was you had to be a witness of the Lord. That's right. And uh, this is this is where he's he meets the qualification. Is, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, he even specifically said that in one of his letters, that I've seen the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, let me read maybe the connection in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, and uh, have you kind of lead us to the next phase of things. It says, uh, the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there, or, I'm sorry, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Man, there's a lot to unpack from that little verse. Maybe uh, we could spend a bit of time on it. Um, what What's happening here? Several things. Number one, I think repentance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he had time to think about his life. You know, he had just seen the Lord and what, yeah. he'd, what he'd been doing. You know, he'd been trying to to destroy the Lord's followers. Right. So the sorrow, you know, the Bible says godly sorrow works repentance, the dismay, yeah. the, the fervent prayer, you know, for three days and not knowing what's going to happen next. And he was told, go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Mm-hmm. And so he's sitting there and he's waiting. When am I going to be told what I must do? And uh, finally, in Acts 9, it records a man by the name of Ananias comes to him and, and, uh, he tells him, you know, the Lord told Ananias, you go down there. I want you to go see Saul. And I kind of feel sorry for Ananias. Uh, <laughs> you know, here's the man that's been uh, putting Christians to death or seeing that they're imprisoned. And yeah, what does he say in verse 13? Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, Lord, are you sure? And, uh, and the Lord told him in 15, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Mm. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Um, I was going to make a comment about Ananias. I, I heard a preacher one time say that Saul would be the equivalent of like 
Osama bin Laden, you know, coming into church today. You know, obviously he's dead now, but uh, when when this was preached, uh, he was alive and very much, you know, an antagonist or enemy of the United States. But imagine him coming into a congregation and asking for repentance and to join, you know, the suspicion that we would have based on his notoriety would be extreme. Oh, my. And so here's here's the same thing. Is, you know, you've got Ananias who's told that Saul of Tarsus is uh, going to convert and become a Christian. How much his prejudice must have influenced him based on some very real and scary things that happened. Right. But uh, I, I, I liked that connection. Yeah, they, in fact, the disciples had the same problem. You know, it tells us that later on, uh, Barnabas brought him to, before the disciples, and they didn't want to accept him, even after he had become a Christian. Yeah. And uh, Barnabas had to encourage him, say, hey, he's been speaking for the Lord. Uh, he's seen the Lord. Had to remind him that he's a brother. But uh, they were they were not too quick to accept him in the beginning, were they? No, they weren't. Okay, um, let me see if I can remember my question. We're so far removed from it, it may have already come and gone. Um, I think it's come and gone. Okay. Man, it was it was going to be the question of the century too. Like, oh it, man, you know. <laughs> was it where Cain got his wife? Is that the one? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, it's it's out of there. So. Ananias finally arrives and he gives this important message to this fierce persecutor who's repented and spent three days praying. And then it's so interesting what he's told to do. And I I think, Jonathan, this is where so many people miss it. They miss this passage. He's waited for three days. It's implied that he's repented. He's sorrowful. He's been praying. And what's he told to do? You want to read that in Acts twenty two fourteen through 16? Oh, man, I do. Uh, Acts twenty two fourteen. The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know, Saul received a threefold call that day, and it really changed his life forever. When you think about it, the Lord called him to salvation, mm-hmm. to service. In other words, he was going to be a witness and an apostle of Christ, right. and to suffering. Uh, Acts nine 16, I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So mm. to salvation, to service, and to suffering, the three S's. And the other wow. thing that's interesting to me is nothing was hidden from Saul. On that occasion, he knew he was yeah. going to be, he knew he was saved. He knew that he now would forever be a servant of Jesus Christ. And the Lord let him know he's going to suffer. Yeah. You've mm. heard people say, haven't you, that when a person dies, some people say their life passes quickly before them and panorama. You've heard that. And, and uh, I've never experienced that because I've never uh, died. <laughs> but when, even when people are close to death, some of them have shared with me that their whole life would pass before him. Well, Saul was beginning a new life in Christ. And I think of it that way, his future life passing before him. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. I, I don't know if he could see the shipwrecks and the beatings and the things, but mm. the Lord said, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And he certainly yeah. saw it as he lived it out. But 
the point was the persecutor was going to become the persecuted and the harmer was now going to become the harmed. Mm. Now I, I remembered my question. So I'm going to ask it now. Okay. Um, Saul converted because he saw the Lord. This was a guy who knew the law and was so zealous in his conviction, you know, like Romans, what is it, 9, 10, and 11, where it's talking about the children of Israel. And he talks about how his brethren were zealous, but just not for truth. You know, they were they were wrong. And he was in that at one point. So he, he, he no doubt read the, the Old Testament scriptures, but he didn't connect the dots. So here's my question. This is, you know, not in the notes, but why did Paul get the, the, the experience of being converted through direct sight okay. instead of, of only having the scriptures, you know, and, right. and being responsible to obey them? You know, Paul was a, a special case. The Lord made it plain that I've, I've chosen him. Uh, God knew what he was going to become. And the Lord knew that he wanted him to be one of his apostles. And so he made an exception. He allowed him to see him. He knew his heart. He knew what was on the inside. He knew what he could and would become. And in order to be an apostle, as you've already alluded to, he had to see the Lord. Mm -hmm. So okay. I believe it was uh, an exception. What you just said really uh, I mean, you, you tied it back to his apostleship. He had to have seen him. Otherwise, That's he right. couldn't be an apostle. That's right. And I hadn't thought about that, but uh, we just talked about it a minute ago, and that makes perfect sense. There, There's the exception of him getting to see him, uh, and others don't get that opportunity, but he, he also had to see him in order for him to become what he needed him to be. So that makes sense. Well, we're going to pause right there, and I invite you to come back next week. Now, the way that this conversation broke down, we spent some time talking about the narrative of Saul's conversion, and then we also talked about a lot of really important applications or lessons that we can take away from it. In the episode you just heard, we considered the narrative. In next week's lesson, we'll consider the applications, and I'll tell you, they're great. The, uh, the, the applications that we have are going to take a little bit longer than the narrative did. So next week's episode is going to be a little bit longer. And I think you're going to really enjoy it as well. So until then, go to the website. Check out all those resources. They are free to download, free to use. I would also appreciate across all the different platforms that I have that you would like, subscribe, follow, whatever it takes. Help us get this message out to the lost that Jesus saves and help us get the message out to those who are saved that they can be edified and encouraged whenever they use these resources. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you. Well, it's